0: Welcome to Notes from America. My name is Patrina Engelke, and frankly, I had no idea that the vast majority of people in the U.S. wants the police to change. But they do want that. Only 7% think that law enforcement or policing should stay the way it is. And this episode is not even about police brutality. It's part of my series about the division in the United States that I hear so much about. Turns out there are a lot of very different opinions in this country, but there's also a lot of agreement. That, and those numbers I just mentioned, is part of what an initiative called Hidden Common Ground finds out about. Through all of 2020, this public engagement project took a deep look at different kinds of issues in the U.S., and the results make the story of the deeply divided United States look like an overly simplified myth. Ha! So I talked to Will Friedman. He's the president of Public Agenda, which is responsible for Hidden Common Ground. And Will discusses the idea behind highlighting areas where the U.S. is not divided, how that works at all, and he also talks about a few surprises along the way. We recorded our interview in December. Oh, and before I forget, since we don't talk about law enforcement in our interview, but the project did, You can even find agreement on some of the potential ways to resolve the issue of police brutality across all Americans, black and white, Democrats and Republicans, 96% think that police officers who use excessive force should not be permitted to stay on duty. If you want to dive deeper into these findings, look at the show notes. You'll find links to all the reports that Hidden Common Ground produced over the year 2020. And while you're looking at your podcatcher, I'd really appreciate a quick review or rating for Notes from America. Now, let's hear what Wolf Friedman has to say about disagreement and common ground among Americans. My guest today is Wolf Friedman. He's the president of Public Agenda. And there he also established the Center for Advances in Public Engagement, which today is known as the Yankelovich Center. And that pretty much brings us to our topic today, which is finding common ground. So Will, welcome to Notes from America.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here. Appreciate it.
0: So I want to go back in time because a year ago, almost to the day, um, you issued a report called Divisiveness and Collaboration in American Public Life, which coincided with the launch of an initiative called Hidden Common Ground. So tell me a little bit about that report. What do Americans think about this narrative that we hear so often of a deeply divided nation?
1: Well, I do think Americans agree that our politics are highly divisive and that on the national level, especially our political system is very divided. I think they also certainly have a sense of conflict and division when you put them into the frame of mind of talking about people and the other party and and frame things within the national political context. You certainly see the divisiveness coming out and people struggling to deal with family members who feel differently and so forth. But Americans also feel that there's a lot more common ground than meets the eye. And that was one of the findings that came out in that first uh, uh, module of research we did back last December, about a year ago, as you said, that Americans feel that there's more common ground in terms of pragmatic solutions to even politically contentious and stuck problems, gridlock problems then the media and the pundits give them credit for. And our findings actually throughout the year found this to be the case, that there is significant agreement on a lot of solutions to a lot of politically gridlock problems. If you're taking it out of the electoral context, you're taking it out of the national partisan context and just talking about what will work to make people's lives better.
0: So, let's pretend that we don't know what happened uh, within the year and and we're still in December 2019. I just don't want to let it go.
1: Um, so, so, so you're saying I can go to a bar and have a drink uh, <laughs> indoors and okay yeah'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend that's true
0: yeah, we're, we're both doing it that way, you know <laughs> we're just sitting in a bar just talking about. How great everything is, or and and we're excited about the election, and that's the the one thing that we're thinking is going to happen in 2020 for sure. (laughs) Um, And so at this point in time, you were launching the project, and from this perspective, what is the project's purpose, and and how did you plan to do that?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's interesting to put it in this context because the project really germinated back. after the 2016 election, when people were scratching their heads and trying to figure out, you know, where did this surprising outcome come from? We seem to be more divided than we realized. Um, We seem not to understand the thinking and feelings of different parts of the country that we don't report on frequently and things like that. And out of that experience came a whole bunch of analysis, a whole bunch of punditry and and media commentators talking again and again about how divided the American people have become and we're really two nations. And the dominant narrative became one of profound, virtually hopeless division that we are, are are so alien to each other that we can't possibly understand each other's can't possibly have a productive conversation, can't possibly work together on common projects for the common good. And we, based on you know decades of public opinion research and public engagement activity in communities across the nation, just felt that that narrative was being overstated and was becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy and a somewhat self-defeating one. And while we certainly recognize that there are important divisions in America, of course, that's true. We also think that there's a lot more agreement when you're talking about practical solutions to the problems that all communities face around economic opportunity, around education, around a whole slew of other issues. There are certainly uh, disagreements, but there's a whole lot of agreement. And I didn't want the politicians or the media to kind of get away with blaming everything on the American people being hopelessly divided, if that's inaccurate. Um, Again, not claiming that there are not important disagreements or divisions, there are, but there's also a lot of agreement. And if we lose sight of that, we're going to lose sight of opportunities to make progress on really important issues that can change and uh, affect people's lives, so that's where the initiative came from. Was just trying to challenge and complicate that narrative of a hopelessly divided America, and shine a light on areas where we actually there is a great deal of agreement on solutions, places where we can make progress as far as the American people are concerned.
0: And that's a great idea. Um, now I'm curious how. Did you do that? I mean, how were you going to find out?
1: So um, we decided that it's not enough to just do research and find out, do focus groups and surveys and public opinion research, which is something that we do. One of the things that we do at Public Agenda. But it's not enough just to get some findings on it. What we wanted to do with the initiative was to make the findings on where Americans agree on solutions to politically contentious issues, to make that politically salient and influential. So just to release a research report that claims that there are some areas of agreement and you can document it by talking about your research, we didn't feel like it was going to be powerful enough to make a dent in the political culture, the, the mindset of the nation, so to speak. So what we did was partnered with some powerful journalism outlets, as well as some Community engagement uh, networks. Specifically, our lead partner in the initiative was USA Today. They thought it was a great idea and and would sort of set their election year journalism apart by not just focusing on where people disagree, but also focusing on where people agree. Thought so that would be more positive, you know, kind of slant to some of their election year journalism. They certainly dealt with you know differences between the candidates and. and and voters and so forth as well. But they wanted to put a big push on this kind of common ground theme as part of their their election year coverage. Uh, In addition, the Kettering Foundation was a research partner. The America Amplified Public Media Consortium, which is a group of public radio stations and other public media outfits from around the country, um, also were part of the initiative and reported on various findings and storylines. Um, And the National Issue Forums, which is a network of community-based organizations that host dialogue in communities on public issues, was also part of the initiative and conducted the um, dialogue and deliberation in various communities across the country on the various issues that that we focused on across the year. So we tried a multi-pronged approach to make this more than just research. To make it a public engagement enterprise that takes those those research findings and engages people around it and tries to strengthen the common ground and, and activate people around the things that they think are important the solutions they think are important how we found the common ground was, was through traditional public opinion research with focus groups and surveys and we would you know kick off a round of activity by releasing that but then there was a whole bunch of journalism whole bunch of lead story in USA Today, a bunch of diverse op-eds and commentary about the the topic. Um, The National Issue Forum's activities would take place. America Amplified would do a couple of stories in a couple of different places, et cetera.
0: And as I understand it, one part is to really get people of all different walks of lives and political opinions together to look at issues and see if they can agree on solutions is that right
1: yeah i mean we try to identify places where agreement already exists and we try to stimulate people's thinking our national issue Forums partner for example would bring people together to try to you know deepen that common ground and build more of it so we're trying to identify where does it exist we're trying to shine a light on that to say hey, there are places where people are ready to make progress right now. And we try to build upon that foundation and increase the amount of common ground and solutions that exist.
0: Can you give a few examples of areas that you identified as something where some common ground exists and that you can build upon?
1: Sure. Economic opportunity and economic fairness um, was one of the themes we explored, among many others. And we found considerable common ground on on a number of solutions. For example, a majority of Americans support creating more good jobs by upgrading infrastructure. And that includes nearly equal majorities of Republicans at 83 percent, Democrats at 82 percent, independents at 76 percent. We also found cross-partisan and also cross-racial and income and other kinds of groupings of people. Um, agreement on things, on the importance, if you wanna create economic opportunity and greater economic equity in communities and for families and individuals, affordable childcare, affordable healthcare are crucial elements. Um, We found considerable common ground on raising the minimum wage. That was something that actually evolved stronger over the course of the initiative. We asked some questions about that in February of 2020. Um, and at that point, 72 percent of Americans supported raising the minimum wage. No, at that point, it was 66 percent. I'm sorry. It elevated to 72 percent when we asked it again in August. And that increase was mostly due to Republicans increasing their support for raising the minimum wage from about 48 percent in February to 62 uh, percent in the uh, August, September round of work. So in some cases, we found common ground strengthening and growing over the course of time.
0: I think now we have to address the elephant in the room, which is COVID-19. In my mind, of course, I would think, yeah, maybe that changed views because now we're celebrating people who work the cashier as heroes because they still supply us with food and so on. So would you agree on that? Or are there any other lessons to be learned from looking at certain areas again and again?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's been an evolving issue. And unfortunately, it's become a more politicized issue than it needed to, <laughs> from, from my perspective. Um, but we did, you know, that obviously hadn't been one of the issues we anticipated working on. We anticipated working on climate change, immigration, healthcare, care, et cetera, and we did, we did tackle those issues. But when COVID came on, we shifted lanes and did a couple of rounds of work on it. The work we did was early on um, in the spring when it was first coming on. And at that point, there was significant common ground about the severity of the, the dangers involved and the concerns that people had. And we found a lot of activity on the community level of, you know, people trying to figure out ways to work together to solve problems in their community created by COVID um, and help people out who needed helping, things like that. And there was considerable agreement about some of the things that they thought ought to be done, like government activity to diminish the, the, the damage and to help small businesses and, and people put out of work, you know, survive and get, get the help they needed, things like that. We didn't continue to track that throughout the year, but I mean, I've been keeping an eye on the research that other organizations are doing. And certainly, you know, divisions have arisen in the American public about how serious it is and, and what measures people should take in order to combat the problems of the pandemic. And there's a very direct line there to the way in which the issue became politicized over time.
0: I would imagine that COVID-19 also changed the way that you could do the project. Can you tell a little bit about that?
1: It did, it did, certainly, yeah. I mean, we were able to continue our research right through the pandemic. Typically, focus groups, for example, are done in person, but there are ways to do them online nowadays. And we had already done that before from time to time, um, and we just relied on using technology to have conversations with people in in a focus group format and surveys can be done (laughs) during a pandemic. The journalism was somewhat affected in some respects. For example, USA Today has a very big print circulation and they were creating these four page wraparounds every month devoted to the Hidden Common Ground project with whatever topic we were covering with a major lead article and a whole bunch of diverse commentary that certainly diminished and we relied more on their online platform for their news uh, dissemination, as you know, a lot of papers certainly did and the national issue forum dialogue work. Fortunately, they have a very interesting and sophisticated online platform for dialogue that they had already created. I mean, they were planning to do some of that online dialogue work anyway, but essentially the, the face-to-face, community-based dialogues uh, ceased and we switched over to the online platform uh, so we had to adapt as we all have certainly yeah
0: and you managed to to cover a broad range of issues from as you said immigration to creating jobs to uh, race and police reform economic opportunity healthcare were there any surprises that something that you really thought wow I didn't expect that
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, it's a sorry research project where you don't have any surprises, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just check out things we already know. So certainly there were some surprises. And I think an interesting one was on the immigration round of work. Because what we found was a pattern that I hadn't seen presented or, or described elsewhere. Based on the way that issue plays out in the media and in our national politics and just sort of the impressions you get about it, you would expect that the left and the right or the Democrats and the Republicans are really a mirror image of themselves. Very, very polarized in terms of where they come out on immigration and what we ought to do about it. And we found a different pattern. What we found was that Democrats and independents, have very consistent, stable views that are pretty predictable. They favor relatively welcoming, generous policies towards both legal and undocumented immigrants. Now, as I was saying, you would expect Republicans to be pretty much the mirror image based on the political rhetoric, especially at the national level and the way the media covers the issue. But what we found was that most of the time on most of the subtopics around immigration that we covered, we found Republicans to be very ambivalent in their views. If if you change the wording on a question, they would answer it very differently. There was a lot of don't knows. They didn't have hard staked-out mirror image positions, except in a few areas like on the wall. They were very strong in support of the wall, but on things like should we allow undocumented immigrants to stay in the U.S. And, and follow a path to citizenship? They were kind of all over the place and felt different depending on, you know, what the context of the question was. Uh, so I just thought that was interesting, that it wasn't a mirror image, that, that the views among the Republicans in general on most of the issues were not hardened. It felt like there was a significant, a, a little more potential for dialogue and kind of working through the issue than one would think there is. We also had a very interesting finding in that one where we found that people who had more accurate knowledge about immigration, about various questions about how immigration actually works, what the realities are around undocumented immigrants, etc., that tended to affect their views. Uh, so folks who knew that most undocumented immigrants don't actually come across the U.S.-Mexican border; they end up in America in other ways, and things like that. It really did affect their views. Sometimes knowing the facts doesn't affect people's views very much because it's it's about other things, you know. It's about values or concerns or fears or things like that. But sometimes it does, and this was this really did have an impact.
0: Very interesting. Um... As much as I'm fascinated by the project, I always like to know what the limitations are. So what are the limitations?
1: Well, I think it's a great question. And I think there are limitations in the sense that I don't think this hidden common groundwork is a complete theory of change or or all by itself is going to solve the problems of America's democracy today and help us address these issues all by the, all by itself. But I do think it's one important component of our ability to move forward. I think people recognizing that there is more common ground on solutions than is typically being recognized or leveraged um, is a step in the right direction. I think the idea that we're not hopelessly divided and we do have common ground, we can build common ground is really important for our ability to make progress. But it has to be part of a larger program that's gonna be really powerful and really transformative. There are systemic and structural issues with the American democratic process. There are deep cultural issues about who's in and who's out and people's attitudes towards equity and creating a truly inclusive democracy. There are a lot of dimensions that we're going to have to pay attention to if we're going to make progress because we're in a highly dysfunctional and problematic place. And we only claim that this is part of the answer. We do think, though, that we're not going to have change in this country without a lot of people power behind it. And in order to have people power, people have to recognize that they have some common ground and they can work together. So we do think it's an important step. And finally, I would say that. Part of the point of this initiative is not just to recognize where there's common ground. It's also to help the nation deal with our disagreements. And one of the premises, one of the things we believe in doing this work is that it's going to be really hard for the nation to deal with our deeper disagreements about things like racial equity, for example. If we're constantly being told that we disagree, about just about everything and we're incapable of agreeing, right? So one of the things we wanna do is stop overwhelming people with this notion, this narrative, this myth that we're hopelessly divided and profoundly divided about everything that comes before us.
0: This also sounds like a guideline for media because you've been criticizing media coverage before. Would you add something to it, some kind of advice or something that you would like to see more in media?
1: Yeah, I mean, right now, a lot of the media is not particularly friendly or conducive or helpful to the democratic process. <laughs> a lot of the time, media coverage is exacerbating and exaggerating our divisions and playing off of them in ways that you know are good for getting people to click on stories, but are not necessarily helping us work through and solve problems. But there are trends in journalism today that are much healthier from a democracy perspective, at least in my view. And things like uh, there's a movement called Solutions Journalism, which is very related to the kind of work we're dealing here, which basically is saying it's not enough for journalism to focus on the problems. They should also focus on solutions, including the solutions that communities are creating for themselves to these kinds of issues. So the kind of work we're doing is very much overlaps and uh, resonates with that solution journalism work. There's also um, related to that a kind of movement within journalism that's called engaged journalism, which basically means the journalism operations should be partnering with the communities that they serve to decide what is important to cover and pay attention to. And to kind of create just a lot more interactivity between journalists and the communities they serve. So these are, are, I think, hopeful trends within journalism that are helping to correct some of the more problematic ways in which a lot of journalism has evolved in recent years. And I think the work that we're doing is sort of, you know, reinforcing that, playing off of that and part of that.
0: Now, the election year circle of hidden common ground has come to an end because we had an election. <laughs> What's next? Are you going to do another round? Are you going to do a new project?
1: Yeah, we're gearing up for a new round of work in 2021. Also in partnership with USA Today, um, possibly other media partners, the National Issue Forums and others. And we, we, what we want to do is concentrate especially on several issues that we think are particularly essential and important to the renewal, recovery, rebuilding that needs to happen as we move out of the pandemic um, and as we move out of the really difficult national political um, exercise of the 2020 election. So we want to focus this year, particularly on the issues of economic recovery and economic opportunity, and how do, we, how do we recover in a way that's fair, equitable, and works for the American people. Two is around healthcare, and how does healthcare need to be redesigned to better serve America? That includes public health as well as individual health. A third is continuing to do more work on the divisiveness slash collaboration issue that we started this interview with. Uh, talking about that, we wanna continue that work and track how that's evolving and reinforce the importance of people reaching across and being able to work together and understand each other across differences. And we want to look at political or democracy reform itself and engage the American people on how to create a less dysfunctional, more community, um, citizen-centered, community-centered, empowering democracy for the American people. So those are the those are the themes we want to cover. We're also very interested this year in trying to explore the kinds of narratives about America that in this day and age can help bring people together instead of split them apart. So that's what we're gearing up for now. Um, and I appreciate your asking me about it.
0: <laughs> it sounds like quite a lot of things. So in conclusion, I'm curious about your personal view, because you have a lot of experience in looking at public engagement and what brings people together or tears them apart. So what do you think is a good first step if someone decides, okay, how how do I start this? How do I foster dialogue or maybe even get myself to talk to somebody who I perceive to be on the other side?
1: I think one lesson is to try not to frame the conversation, try not to talk about it in terms of national partisan politics. If the conversation is, you know, do you prefer Trump's policies to Biden's policies, you're just going to trigger those kinds of partisan reactions. My recommendation, one of my recommendations is to focus on solving problems. That's the way we did our research. We didn't ask people, you know, do you prefer, you know, the Democratic Party's platform or or, or, or President Trump's platform. We asked them about creating jobs. We asked them about immigration as a, you know, uh, what we ought to do, what kind of immigration policies we ought to have. Um, And we tried to keep it on the pragmatic level of problem solving. And if you can do that, you'll tend to do much better because that's where people find that they, yeah, I mean, we are experiencing this issue in different ways, but there's some commonality in terms of what we're experiencing. And you'll find that there's more places where people can tend to agree. Uh, you saw this, for example, in, uh, it it's kind of interesting that Florida voted for President Trump, but also passed a minimum wage referendum. So that's one thing. I would say another thing is that it's much easier to, to solve problems on the level of communities, neighborhoods, cities, that kind of thing, than, than on the level of, of the nation. And people can relate to that much more. And I think there's really important work happening all around the country where people are grappling with issues within their communities, trying to make it right where they live whether that's education, whether that's immigration, whatever it is. And it's really possible to kind of, again, keep things on the practical. Well, how do we actually solve this problem? Rather than getting involved in the kind of symbolic politics that dominate our national scene so much. Things like the wall, which, you know, isn't really a practical thing. It's more of a symbol. Um, And it draws out a lot of sort of tribal reactions from people as opposed to practical problem-solving reactions. A lot of Americans tend to be a pretty pragmatic problem-solving bunch of folks. And if you keep the conversation on that level, it tends to bring out good things.
0: Good. Okay, Will, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.